Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Psalm 84, verse 8. Psalm chapter 84, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. The word selah means stop and think calmly of that. This does not have at the heading of this chapter as it does in many of the chapters or psalms that David wrote. But many Bible scholars believe that David, the second king of Israel, the sweet singer of Israel, the little boy who killed Goliath the giant, grew up to be the greatest king of Israel in the Old Testament. Most historians believe that David did indeed write this psalm. Reading on to verse number 9. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. And now David makes a fantastically amazing statement. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. In other words, better than a thousand days anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man and woman that trusteth in thee. I want to read verse 10 again, Brother Terry. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. That means in the presence of God. For in David's day, the house of God, the temple, well, the tabernacle in his day, later the temple represented the literal Shekinah presence of God himself. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. With the Lord's help, I'm going to preach for a little while on this subject. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Come on, tell him. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. God will bless his word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There was a young man one time interviewed six elderly prayer veterans of the great revival in New Hebrides, which was in the nation of Vanuatu. We have missionaries go there. If I'm not mistaken, Brother Leroy Sherry, one of the former pastors of this church in the 60s, served as a missionary in this area. One of the uh, or six of the elderly prayer warriors who were a part of this new Hebrides revival uh, said to this young man who was interviewing him, one, he said, he wrote this, one of them looked at me with fire in his ancient eyes and said in a broken brogue, this native said to him, if you ever find him, never, never Never, never let go. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you, as I, I read those words and I've read them, I, I just can't get them out of my mind. Uh, what, what, what do those words really mean? What did that old man really, that prayer warrior, really mean by that? Here's what I think the message of that statement coming from the heart of that 
elderly prayer warrior in that great revival was saying. I, I think that he was saying, if you manage to get the door of heaven somehow propped open, don't ever let it close again. There should have been at least one amen. Are, are you sleeping already? You're going to preach with me today? I'm a preacher that doesn't need amens, but when you amen, I know you're getting it. That's the important thing, not to build my ego, but for you to get it. It, it is no secret to anyone who has half their wits about them or even a tenth that the world is in trouble today. This country, this nation, I believe, is still the greatest nation uh, upon the face of the earth so far in man's history outside of the country of Israel, which, of course, is God's chosen nation. In this country, the United States of America today, we are in trouble. We need a divine visitation from heaven in America today. As such, we need a divine visitation in Illinois, and not just in Chicago, where we throw a lot of the blame for our problems down here in southern Illinois. I purport to you today that we desperately need a divine visitation of God in the city of Mount Vernon, in the city of Centralia, in Salem, in Nason, in, in, uh, in Woodlawn, in Updike, wherever you go. Within driving distance, we need a divine visitation of God. I submit to you today, we need a divine visitation of God in this church, in our homes, in our families. Life without God's presence is not life at all. We need the presence of God wherever we are. And I believe that when we somehow reach those moments in time, whether it's in a prayer meeting or driving down the road in your vehicle or most likely it happens most of the time in a church service or a prayer meeting where saints are gathered together. Whenever there is somehow a divine visitation, it's like a seam uh, in time has opened up before us and God himself, the God of eternity, enters into our little playhouse of life in this land of time. And at that moment, everything of earthly importance seems to fade away as it should. Why is that? Because God is in the house. Eternity has visited our little time-bound world, and His glory is filling up our little cramped room of life. I long for those times. I long for those church services and prayer meetings. We've had them in this church many times over the years, but it's when a while when the, when the heaven rips open and God steps out and his foot lands on the floor and he walks up and down the aisles of this place and his presence and his glory fills the house and three hours somehow seems like three minutes as we are worshiping God and basking in his glory and his presence. And it's in moments like that we have come close to the door. In times like that, we get close to the gate. 
There is a gate there. There is a door to God. Jacob found it. Put up. I'll read real quick, Brother Terry, without stopping. Genesis 28, verse 12. And he dreamed. This is Jacob. Behold, a ladder. How many have heard of Jacob's ladder? Set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest. To thee I will give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of to thee. Jacob waked out of his sleep. He woke up from his dream, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful or how awesome is this place. There is none other. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate or the door to heaven. And the Bible goes on to say in the next chapter that Jacob marked that place because he wanted to remember where it was because of what happened to him that night as the door of heaven literally opened before him. He set up stones to mark the place. He said, I don't want to forget this, but I'm afraid that sometimes we can do the same thing and for the wrong reason and get the wrong result. We have our spiritual stones, if you will, and that's good sometimes. I have been leading worship in churches all of my adult life, and uh, I can't tell you the number of times mainly because I can't remember. But every so often, someone would come to me and say, Brother Edwards, you know, last Sunday, you sang such and so song. And uh, oh my, didn't God move. And, and maybe he moved on the whole congregation, and maybe it was just that one individual. But they had an encounter with God while that song was being sung. And they would say, Brother Edwards, do you think you could sing that song again this Sunday? And and I understand the meaning of a person who does that. But unfortunately, those kind of markers can never mark a place of eternity. You can be reminded that you were in the presence of God when a certain song was sung or a certain evangelist came through town and preached a certain revival that changed your life. But you can never replicate that presence of God by singing a song or hearing a certain preacher preach a certain sermon. It takes more than that. It's not the place that it happens. It's the hunger in your heart when it happens. Amen. That person, instead of remembering the song, should have remembered what was going on on the inside of them when they touched God and God touched them like he did. I heard the story one time of a a small boy who went fishing with his grandpa, and his grandfather took him to the grandfather's favorite fishing spot. And uh, he 
He carefully maneuvered the boat, and the boy was taking all of this in so keenly. He, he maneuvered the, the boat to a very particular place on the lake. And he said, now, son, if you'll always fish at this little spot right here, then you'll catch a lot of fish. And who doesn't like to go fishing without catching a lot of fish? Well, there are people who do that, but I think they're wasting their time. He said, that's what you need to do to catch a lot of fish right here. You are over. You can't see it. It's under the water. It's deep down, but we are right over an outcropping of rocks and bushes that, that it, for some reason, the fish like. And, and any fisherman worth his salt. I used to uh, go fishing with Brother Larry Goldman. How many have ever been fishing with Brother Goldman? Very few have had that privilege. You've never been fishing until you've been fishing with Brother Larry. He took me fishing, and, and, and I had some once-in-a-lifetime experiences with him. I mentioned this the other day. I caught the largest fish I ever caught in my life with him out here at, at J.C. Lake, or maybe it was Miller Lake. But, but, but any fisherman who's good at what he does knows where the fish are, and that's where he or she goes. And so this, this boy, years later, not, not too many years, but after he was old enough to go fishing on his own, he did that, and he went to Grandpa's spot, and he tried to catch some fish and didn't catch a thing. And when he got home, he called up Grandpa, and he said, Grandpa, look, I, I went fishing, and we went to your spot, and, and there weren't any fish there. And Grandpa said, oh, son, that's not right. There's always fish there. You just weren't right on it. Well, I couldn't have been very far off. You don't understand, son, Grandpa said. You don't have to be 50 feet away or 20 feet away to miss the spot. You can be just two feet away from the right spot and still not catch any fish. You have to be right over it. Come on, let's go again. I'll go with you this time. And so they went back to Grandpa's fishing spot. And he said, now you drive the boat, he told his grandson, and you get a position where you think is the right spot. And so the boy said, I did that until I had it right where I thought it was supposed to be. And then I looked over at Grandpa, and he just smiled and said, son, you're not at the right spot. It's over there. Now, when, when fishermen, again, guys who know what they're doing, gals, I'm not one of them. Uh, when, when those who are good at it find a fishing hole or a fishing spot that produces then that's where they go. And, and the problem is most, uh, if not all, of the markers that mark the spot are underwater. And you can't see them. You can try to use a, a, a jug, you know, and put a weight on it and, and sink it down at that place. But usually the wind and the water blows these temporary markers out of position or some boat will come along and its motor will cut the line. And, and, and those are the wrong kind of markers. Grandpa knew how to get to his special spot because he used the right markers to guide him. Even when the wind blew other things out of the way, he explained to the boy, he said, you have to look up on the horizon. You see that tree over there on the bank? And so the boy looked and said, yeah, I see that. He said, you have to position the boat just so in relation to that tree. He said, now that special spot is right about here. And they dropped a line in the water, and sure enough, it was. 
What's the moral of that story? Well, what I'm trying to tell you is you can't use earthly markers. You can't use temporal things that will pass away to mark the places where you find access to heaven because that doesn't always work. Jacob set up some markers to mark his encounter with God. And and many years later, when the Israelites finally crossed Jordan, God told them, tell uh, he said to Joshua, tell the priest or uh, one man from every tribe to get a, a, a rock out of the dry uh, Jordan riverbed and put it up on the bank. And there was a reason for that because for years after that, whenever anybody from Israel would walk by, father and son perhaps, the boy would say to dad, dad, there's a pile of rocks over there. It looks, looks funny. It's different. The rocks are shaped different. They're all perfectly round. You see only rocks that are uh, exposed to years and years of the flow of the current of the water become rounded because all the other rocks on land are jagged. So the markers are different. And the Israelites We're told by God to do that because I want you to remember when I showed up. I want you to know and remember the circumstances and remember what brought my presence and my appearance on the scene. We can't use a revival from the past to bring the presence of God back like we want him to come. It doesn't work that way. I believe that David found the answer to the way it does work when he said, Lord, a day in your courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Why did David say that? Why, why did he put it like that? David, you're a king. You're, you're the mightiest man in the country and in the region. Why would you want to be just a doorkeeper, just uh, an usher, if you will? That's a very important position in this or any church. And it's especially important those that watch the door to heaven, whether it's you and your family or in this church or in this state. David understood something. He said, I've learned something. A doorkeeper at the right door has more influence in the world than a king who's sitting on his throne of power. A doorkeeper in the house of God is a doorkeeper at the gate of heaven. And that means he has access to the presence of almighty, eternal, all powerful God and friend I don't know about you but that's where I want to be that's where I want to stay in the presence of almighty God why because good things happen in the presence of God miracles take place in the presence of God broken minds and broken bodies and broken lives are healed in the presence of God Paul said In the letter he wrote to the Corinthians, we see now through a glass darkly. It's like looking through a window in this life. And we don't understand a lot of things. And and that really could be the theme of our lives a lot of times. Because we make a life out of second best and not God's first best. Amen. Sometimes we tell people and we do them a disservice when they come into the church. Well, 
You need to let the, let the saints who are experienced lay hands on you and pray for you, and you'll, you'll be healed. Well, the Bible does talk about that, but we need to understand, instead of teaching people that they need to go to, to somebody who's more experienced and have their, their, their hands laid upon them, they need to be taught how to find God for themselves. Because there's not always going to be a church service coming up soon. There's not always going to be a prayer meeting just around the next bend. Sometimes, honey, you're going to have to know how to dig it out for yourselves, the nuggets of truth and power from God. The pastor's not going to be around. Mama and daddy won't be there. It's just you and your circumstances. It's just you and the storms of your life. And you've got to know how to find the door to heaven. If you want things to be made right again, I believe if the things that God has promised this church are going to come to pass, if the things that God, the promises that God has made to you are going to happen, then there's going to have to be the presence of God show up to do it. And it's not where is it going to start it's with who? With who? Who will find the ancient keys to heaven and the presence of God like Jesus told Peter that day? Here are the keys to the kingdom. I'll tell you where it's going to come from and where it's going to start. It's going to start with a doorkeeper. There has to be a doorkeeper. What are you saying, Pastor? There has to be somebody who will say, I'll make it happen. I'll sacrifice. I'll stay a little bit longer than everybody else in the prayer room. I'll go up to the altar and be the last one to leave this Sunday. I'll be the one who pushes back from the table when they don't call a fast from the pulpit at church, and I'll get the job done somehow, some way, because I've got to to have the presence of God in my life. God has a better idea than you asking the pastor to get some certain evangelist to come that you've heard about or remember preaching to come to this church and preach a revival. A sermon's not going to do what you need done and give you what you need to be given. It's got to be somebody presenting their life to God and say, God, I give myself to you as a doorkeeper. I want you to use me to open the door to your presence, to your miracles, to your revival that we so desperately need. I'll tell you what we need right here in Mount Vernon. I'll tell you what we need right here in this church. We need some doorkeepers. We need some doorkeepers in this house of the Lord. We need some doorkeepers to say, God, use my life. We need somebody to say, here am I, God, use me. Use my worship when nobody else will worship. And the pastor's begging people to worship. God, he won't ever have to beg me again. I'm going to worship you no matter what I feel like and no matter what is happening in my life. We've got to get the door open for people. Listen, David understood this. 
David understood about the importance of the presence of God, being in God's presence. When David brought the ark that had been taken by their enemy, the Philistines, when he brought the ark back to Jerusalem, he did more than just return God's presence to the city and to Israel, the nation. He did more than just display God's glory in, in, in a tent that he had constructed. The Bible says that David erected a tent like God had told Moses way back on Mount Sinai. Moses gave God's instructions to the people hundreds of years before David, build a tabernacle. Here's how God says to do it and told him exactly what to make it out of and how to construct it and put it up. And, and, and David did that too. There was no tabernacle. He said, I'm going to build a tabernacle just like God told Moses to do back then. And, and, and David did that. He had a tabernacle built or constructed. And, and, and somehow he managed to entertain God's presence in that humble little tent and keep the door of heaven open over his nation, Israel, for 36 years. Here's what happened. The greatest reign of any king of Israel was King David in his 36-year reign. And the greatest time, the greatest victories, the greatest economically, spiritually, socially, and in every other marker time of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was during David's reign. And the reason was David knew how to get to the presence of God, and he knew it was through worship. That's it. I've preached it all my life. You've heard it for over 30 years, but it's still the same message. It's still the same recipe. It's still the same principle. God says, you worship me and I'll show up. God says, you praise me and I will inhabit. I will live in that praise and so when we open the heavens, the windows of heaven, we do it through our worship. I'm telling you what we need to do is post a guard, a doorkeeper, when that happens inside the dimension of God to somehow keep the doors open. How do we do that, Pastor? Don't stop worshiping. Don't come to church today and feel like it and so you do it and you come next Sunday and the kids are fighting and you're mad at mama so you're going to sit there and not do it. Don't do that. Be a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper and keep the windows of heaven open by saying I'm going to worship you God. I'm talking about doorkeepers who are intercessors, who are prayer warriors, who are worshipers, who are the ones that will stand in the gap, make up the hedge, and provide access to the presence of God to other people, new people who come in here and don't know how to do it. We ought never have to open the door for one another. We all ought to be worshiping God every chance we get to be opening the door of heaven for the sinner that walks in off the street that we have invited to this place. Why? Because God shows up every time we do. And when God shows up, he does things. Hallelujah. 
When David wrote that verse, put it up, Brother Terry, chapter 84, verse 10, that I read at the beginning, he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. He, he was saying, I, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the right place at the right door because that's the place where God moves let me tell you something, church, no matter what happens, no matter how long you live and walk with God, you remember what's about to come out of my mouth. You remember these words. You ought never to underestimate the power of the presence of God. If you can be a doorkeeper, and if it gets to the point where there's just one of you, then this church will never die. But there's got to be a doorkeeper. There's got to be somebody. And the more of them we get, the more presence we get. And the more presence we get, the more revival we get. And the more miracles we get. And the more salvation and healing and conversions. There was another man in the Bible, and just coincidentally, he happened to live in the same time period as King David. Another man who discovered the importance of being a doorkeeper in the right place at the right time. He was a man by the name of Obed-Edom. Many people believe, scholars believe, that he was a part of the Levitical order. He was a Levite. We don't know this really for sure. It doesn't say in the Bible. But there are clues and hints that lead to believing that. He, do, he did, we do know this because the Bible does tell us, he did know what it was like to have God dwell in his house instead of just visit there. I'm going to stop right now to tell you, Calvary, God visits here. But we need more than just his visits. We need him to live here. We need him to dwell here. We need him to show up every time anybody is going to walk through the door for a prayer meeting or a church or whatever. We need him here before we get here, and he'll do that because he knows what is going to happen after we get here, that there's going to be some doorkeepers show up that do what it takes to open the windows of heaven and attract the presence of God to be poured out. Obed-Edom knew what to do when a, a visitation of God turns into a habitation. When a visit becomes permanent. Oh, God, that we could do that. Obed-Edom knew what he had to do to get visitation to turn into habitation. And, and, and he discovered that when he did that, there were there were side benefits that came along with the job. His crops grew better. His, his dog quit biting people. His roof didn't leak. His hot water heater didn't break. The kids didn't get sick. And everybody in his life was somehow incredibly blessed. You know something good is going on when your crops are so blessed that in three months' time, as the Bible says, everybody around knew about it. Finally, the word reached all the way to King David, sitting on his throne a few miles away in the city of Jerusalem. David, you, you won't believe this. You, 
you won't believe this. Listen to this. They say that Obed-Edom, you remember the guy whose house you left the ark in? Yeah? yeah. David, you remember when we were trying to bring the ark back a few months ago from the Philistines that, that uh, it was on a on an ox cart, and, and remember Uzziah tried to stop it from falling off, and God smote him dead, and you got mad at God, and, and you said, let's just leave the ark here for a while till I figure out what to do. Yeah, I remember that. Well, you left it in the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom, and they say, you won't believe it, David, Obed-Edom has turned into a millionaire in three months. Really? And all of a sudden, David says to himself, he mutters under his breath, I knew I had it right. I've got to get that ark back to Jerusalem. If Obed-Edom can be blessed like that in his house, then if I put that ark in the proper place, if I handle the presence of God and get the presence of God right, then we'll all be blessed. We'll all benefit from it. Hallelujah. You know what? No matter what happened, you read for the next few scriptures, everywhere David went in his reign, everywhere he took the ark, there was a certain man following it by the name of Obed-Edom. His name is mentioned six times in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. I can just imagine it in my mind. King David is at the door. Obed-Edom, okay, Mom, I'll go to the door. Hey, Obed-Edom, this is King David. You know that ark we left here about uh, three months ago? Uh, we're here to pick it up now. My, but everything looks nice around here, Obed. You're doing, you're doing good, aren't you? So, something, something has changed in the last three months. And Obed-Edom is starting to get worried right about now. And he said, you're here to do what? Let me get this straight. You're going to take the ark away from me? Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Well, well yeah, uh, uh, I recall, David says, that when I left it here, you were a little bit afraid of it. Well, that was then, Obed-Edom says. Now, I've learned that wherever that ark is, there's a blessing flowing from God. And David says, well, we need to take it now because I've prepared a special plate for the ark in Jerusalem. And it's going to take us a while to get there. But once we get there, the whole church will be blessed by it, the whole nation. And Obed-Edom says, well, well, King, listen, could you hold on just a minute? Hey, Mom, you better get the kids ready to go. Y'all better get packed up. We're going somewhere. What? Yeah, we're going on a journey. Uh, David's come to get the ark, and we ain't leaving without it. Uh, we're going with them. Get all your stuff. Get all your clothes. Well, what's going on? Dad, Junior says, wherever this ark is going, honey, wherever the presence of God is, that's where I'm going to be. No matter what I have to do, no matter what I have to sacrifice, no matter where I have to go, I'm going to stay in the presence of God. And the next time we hear about Obed-Edom, you know what he's doing? The Bible says he was a doorkeeper for the ark. Obed-Edom moved wherever the ark went. It looks like every job he took on in those two chapters he did so he could stay close to Obed-Edom. He said, I'll help carry the thing. I believe when they asked him why, he said, because I just want to be wherever the ark is is I want to be a gatekeeper. I want to be a doorkeeper. Honestly, I want to hold that door to heaven open because whenever that happens, the blessings of God flow. 
So wherever that ark goes, that's where I'm going. I don't know about you, Calvary, but I've made up my mind. That's how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Wherever the presence of God is, that's where I'll be. I don't care what I have to do to make that happen. I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I hope somebody will get that attitude with me and, and, and love the presence of God so much that you want to be a doorkeeper to heaven more than you want to be anything else in this life. Hallelujah. I'm asking the question today, where are the doorkeepers? around here listen who those who are going to be the next doorkeepers in this church for the next little while is more important than who's going to be president this fall more important than dictators and kings David wrote again In Psalm 24, verse 7, he said, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And what's going to happen? And the King of glory shall come in. Next verse. Who is this King of glory? It's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord who fights your battles for you. Next verse. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And what's going to happen? And the King of glory shall come in. Listen, gates don't have heads. Doors don't have heads. What's he talking about? He's talking about we as the church are called by God to literally open the door to heaven. We are called to open the door to the presence of God, to the world. It's our responsibility. It's our calling. We can't get out of it, and we can't get around of it. When you stand in the place of worshiping God, when you come to church on a Sunday afternoon, and you don't feel like it, and you don't want to in your flesh, You'd rather sit around the house and mope. But when you come to this place on a Sunday afternoon and you say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And you'll not just stand here when you're called up here on the second song and look at the singers. And you'll not just mouth the words, but you'll do something to worship God. You'll lift your hands. You'll praise God with your mouth out loud. You'll not just sit there. That's not what a doorkeeper does. I'm telling you, if we don't have doorkeepers, we are sunk. We are sunk without doorkeepers. Every head bowed and every eye closed. David got it. David understood it. I want you, Calvary, to understand it. 
We've got to get it. Who needs to get in their position right now? Yes, at this moment in time, at the end of this service, but I'm talking about right now in February 2024. Who around here needs to get in their position? It's the doorkeepers, the gatekeepers. God is looking for people who have the keys to the kingdom and know how to use them, and that's you and me. Will you do it? Will you? I promise you, every time I make an altar call, my desire is that every person in here would make their way to the front. And not everybody does, and some of them have very legitimate reasons for not doing that. You can pray in your seat. But you know what? How you respond to the man of God, how you respond to the preacher and what he asks you to do is indicative of what's on the inside of you. If you believe what I've preached to you today, church, and you want to answer the call to be a doorkeeper, I want you to get up out of your seat and come down to the front and let God know that by doing it. Whether you kneel or stand or sit or run or jump or walk, you can't do it silently and you can't do it still. The Bible says praise is comely. It's right. It's a good thing to do. Worship is absolutely necessary for this church to be the church God wants it to be, to be the church where your loved ones, where your family can be saved and make it all the way to heaven. It is in your best interest to say, God, do to me whatever you have to to give me the desire to be a doorkeeper in this place. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Come on, talk to God. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.